Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. We're going to continue, as, as Bobby mentioned in our series, Closer. And, and the, whole, the whole premise behind Closer really is, like he said, you get to pick how close your relationship to God is. Now, we recognize that in a room like this, that, that there may be people here who have zero relationship with God whatsoever. This whole church thing, God thing, Jesus thing is a whole new deal for you. And, and you may say, you know, Chuck, I'm not even sure I want a relationship with God. And so what we would say to you is, welcome home. We get that. M- most of us at some point in our life have been there or are there. And, and by the way, I think we, we recognize in a room like this that this church is not filled with people who are just in this passionate, loving relationship with God all the time. We, we tend to have roller coasters in our life where we have seasons when we're a little closer to God because we choose to be, or we're a little further away from God because something in our life has drawn us our, in our attention. So we kind of recognize that we're all over the board. I mean, the greatest diversity in this room is our relationship with God. I mean, the greatest diversity in here is kind of spiritual maturity because it's, it's a moving target in our life. And I, I think most of us would agree that that's probably true in your life and in mine. Now, some of us, I mean, some of you are just, we know you. You're like super spiritual. You win the award. You got it, right? And there's other of you, you're heathens. And you know which one you are, right? I mean, I'm, I lean more toward the heathen side occasionally. And, and then other times, I, you know, I, I get the badge too. But, but we're all on this roller coaster. Well, today, we're going to talk a little bit about this third step in this series as we move closer and closer to the center. Now imagine a circle, and in the middle of the circle is this perfect relationship with God. And then you get further out, further out, you might get to a point where you're with the crowds, where we were in week number one. The crowds, they they had a faith that sees. They, They saw and they heard about this relationship with God through this relationship with His Son, Jesus. And so they kind of saw from a distance, wait a minute, there's something to this. And then we took a step last week, and we left the crowds, and we went to the 5,000. And this would be folks who, who experienced Jesus and his provision and saying, you don't have to just see it, you can taste it. Faith tastes. And so now today we move from the crowds, last week at the 5,000, and today we move into that circle of 70. This is a big leap. I mean, from the crowds, we'd be multitudes, and maybe there are folks even outside the crowd, off the board where they don't exist, but today we get to that point of the 70. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 10. So if you have an iPhone or iPad, uh, for some unknown reason, you might have an Android, and you could look up on that and, and find your, your Bible, your U version or whatever you have there on, on that tablet or, or phone, and find Luke chapter 10. If you don't have your Bible today, no, no sweat, then we'll read it for you, and you can just join in with us. But in Luke chapter 10, we find a faith that works. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, but also toward the back of your Bible, we're going to be in James chapter 2. And that's, so you might want to find both of those, and we're going to live there for a little bit for just a few minutes. So we went from faith sees, faith tastes, today to faith works. So out of the 5,000, a circle of 70 emerges. And so in Luke chapter 10, here's what we find. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he, meaning Jesus, said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. 
carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter first, say peace to this house. Now, this is an important statement. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the dead? He came back, they're scared to death, don't know what to do. What's the first thing he says to them? Peace I bring to you. So you see, what we find here is that a faith that is work, if you're taking notes, one of the first things you learn is faith at work always brings peace. Not drama, faith at work brings peace. So if you're here and you say, wait a minute, I don't know about this whole God thing, I don't know about whether I want to trust this. You know, one thing we all enjoy, whether it's in our home, in our job, in our bank account, in our relationships with our kids, we long for peace. When I go home, you know what I want in my home? Peace. I mean, n- none of us want drama in our life, even though some of us, you know, some of us have doctorates in drama, right? I mean, I, I, I live with seven women. I know drama. I mean, seriously, I, I, I get it, right? But the fact is, peace is what Jesus sends these guys out to do. He says to these 70, hey, go, go bring peace to this house. And in verse 6 it says, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wage. Do not go from house to house. And whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so we see that what happens is our faith, what we believe, will always lead us to doing that which looks and sounds like Jesus. Now, don't miss this. Watch. If you have two guardrails in your life, faith, I believe, will have a second guardrail that becomes a natural outcome of faith, which is what I do looks and sounds like Jesus. Now, we always tend to measure ourselves in the extreme. All right, so whether, whether you're doing a personality test or some type of, uh, you know, the spiritual gifts, whatever it is that's being assessed in you, we always assess people in the extreme. And we tend to know people. So, like, you know people that when they lose it, they lose it. You got somebody in mind? Like, when they lose it, it's like back up, I mean, look out, pull a pin, fire in a hole, right? I mean, you know that person. But you also know the person that they never lose it. They're like always, they, oh, they're just at peace right? And so we know people in those extremes. Well, we have extremes in faith, too. We'll have folks here in this church, in this room, who will say, you know what, Chuck? I just want to go deeper in my faith. I just want to go deeper in my faith. I want to know. Good for you. Awesome. Then we've got the other extreme, which is, Chuck, we've got to feed these hungry kids. We've got to build this, this place in India. We've got, we got to go to Africa, and we've we got to get to the schools, and we've we got, got to do something, Chuck. Come on, Chuck, we've got to go do something. And there's our two guardrails, and there's our two extremes. And what happens is Jesus says along the way, I'm going to send you out, and I want your faith and your works to be hand in glove. If this is the guardrail of what you believe and the other side is what you do, I want you to drive right down the middle of the road because what you do ought to match whose you are. What you do ought to reflect who your king is. The way you act and react ought to be a reflection of your faith. Okay, if you're with me, nod your head. Okay, if, if you want me to say all that again, raise your hand awesome. We're on a roll. How many of you want to raise your hand, but you're afraid to? Okay, got it. Now, so you see, you look at this and you say, my faith then ought to be something that is working and serving. 
Now, this is a big deal. To this day, a lot of people claim to be followers of Jesus and make it to this circle. And it's at this circle they kind of stop. It's like, okay, I get the doing part, but the fact of the matter is, Chuck, I, I think when you look at this, doing good things means that means I've got to work harder. But see, this is not what Jesus is teaching. He's not saying go and work harder. He's not even saying go and do more. I mean, the big point here with these 70 is this. It's not what you do that matters. It's why you do it that matters. It's the heart. Every teaching in the New Testament, and this is one of those beautiful things about the New Testament. Wherever you're at in these circles, one of the most beautiful things is every teaching in the New Testament is a matter of your heart. Now, the heart will reflect itself in our mouth, our eyes, our mind, our hands, our feet. We will see what the Bible calls fruit, something that comes behind you. You'll see somebody and know, now that's a person whose faith is in action. And so in the circle of the 70, we are experiencing a serving faith or a faith that works. It comes in two pieces. One, service, doing good things, and obedience, because that's what Jesus said go do. You see that? It's, it's two things. What we go do, why we go do it, because did Jesus tell us to or not? Now, <clears throat> here's a big, big thing. Inside that circle, if we're not careful, we will think that doing good works is how we get more love from God. But that is not what Jesus is teaching. You see, some of us really believe if I go serve more, if I go help more people, if I go dig more ditches in, in, in Eleuthera, if I go on more mission trips, then God's going to love me more. But the fact of the matter is, God loves you, period. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God is love, and the only true love that you'll ever have, and the only reason to have faith is God first loved you. So it's not like you can go do more stuff and garner more love from God. The reason we go do more, the more reason we act and react more like Jesus is because we've drawn closer to him, not because we've gone and done more stuff. Remember the guardrails? We live by more faith. Our faith drives us to do the right thing. Not we go do the right thing, and as a result, we have more faith. You see, it's a hand-in-glove experience where we come together and understand, wait a minute, this is all about grace. Now, now watch this, and here's where it comes together. You see, if we believe we can work enough to earn God's forgiveness, we've missed the whole point. The Bible says it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's a gift. From who? God. So, so in essence, think about this. The gift you receive is God says, I love you. Unconditionally, I love you. No matter how messed up you've made your life, no matter what's going on, no matter all the mistakes you may have made, no matter how selfish we might be, because in my case, I think to myself, man, I, there's nothing I could do that could earn that. And God said, yeah, but Chuck, as messed up as you are, I'm going to give you a gift. And the gift is, he is perfect, we are not. He is holy, we are not. And he says, but I'm going to give you a gift. And the gift is Jesus. So he sends his son Jesus, who dies on the cross, sheds his blood, buried in a borrowed tomb, raises three days, comes back to life, is sitting beside God the Father in heaven today, and the gift is you get to be as close to him as you want to be, but you pick. So the gift isn't that I've got to work harder to get there. You, you can't say enough Hail Marys, you can't count enough beads, and you can't do enough good stuff to earn more of God's love. God just says it's a gift. And all you got to do is open it and receive it. Now, the closer you get to the gift, the better the works will be. Are you with me? And so we find in the teaching here 
Matter of fact, a great theologian, A.W. Tozer, once said this, the man that believes will obey, but failure to obey is convincing proof that there's not true faith present. So growing closer to God through a meaningful, purposeful relationship with Jesus is what being a Christian, what being a follower of Jesus is all about, closer to him and closer to others. As a matter of fact, you can't get closer to Jesus and not draw, draw closer to others. So for, so for the person who says, you know what, I w I'm looking for a church, Chuck, where I can just hunker down and I can study the Bible and I can just grow in my faith. Well, you know, you can do that here. We believe in discipleship. That's why we have dozens and dozens of groups that crank up this fall for, for you to pick. You can be in homes. You can be uh, in businesses. You can meet at the gym. You can come to church. You've got places all over. You can join a group where you can grow in a discipleship group. But the purpose of that group is that your faith might grow deeper and change the nature of how we act out there. See the two guardrails? You see, if all we do is come here and we just learn more, then we haven't learned anything. Because faith at work says, what I learn here means that I've drawn to live like Jesus out there. And when you see that, now we begin to understand that growing closer is about acting more like Christ. That's why we get to be as close as we want to be. So in today's teaching, we take a look at the circle of the 70 that Jesus sent out to do his good work. The 70 represent those who followed Jesus to the places of serving and working or living out his words by finding ways to serve the church and to reach the lost through acts of service. <clears throat> a lot of people say to me all the time, like, we'll pack backpacks for, you know, a couple hundred kids every week. And, and there'll always be somebody who'll say to me, did we put a gospel tract in there with them? No. Well, but why didn't you? Because the school says, please don't do that. We just need you to help kids. You know what we did? Would Jesus say, no, I'm not going to help kids because I can't put a gospel track in there? No, Jesus say they're hungry kids. Feed hungry kids, right? And you know what? When you act like Jesus, you don't have to give them a track because you just showed them Jesus. Because you see, faith leads to action that's more like Jesus. And could I just say to you, nothing's more powerful than an action birthed out of a deeper faith. You see how that comes together? And so, so you look at that and you say, wait a minute, these 70 had to have been drawn to something. I need something, Chuck, that gives me this, this, this convincing way to know how this works. How, how does this strength and getting in the game work? The 70 were drawn to Jesus by his mission. I mean, what was Jesus' mission? It was a redemptive plan. I've come to seek and to save those folks that were lost and give them a way that they can have heaven, life eternal, life abundant today. We get to join the mission. The 70s motivation was now their purpose. What was Jesus' purpose? To be in a loving relationship with other people. So what's our purpose? To introduce people to Jesus. The 70s focus was on their part of God's work. Now think about it. God says you get to be a part of his plan, and every morning when you wake up, God says, come on, you can play in my sandbox today. Let's go do good things. But that's because our faith in him has deepened. And so the, the, the closer we draw to the Lord, then you know what happens? The more we go out there and act like him. Now, here's what happens in the modern-day church in this particular part of this, of this work. We forget that the opportunity was to become co-laborers with Jesus. Now, now, now watch this. If you miss this, you're going to miss everything. 
in the modern day church, we think this is about, okay, the church needs to build a plan to have a salt and light day or do a mission trip or have a backpack thing, and then I come and join the church in that mission. But what Jesus is saying is this is about you. This is an individual call to you to go do something. Now, whether the church builds a plan for it or not, he's called you to go do something. All right, so, so think about this. If you want more of a relationship with God, inevitably, God's going to say to you, I need you to be in the middle of that road. Let your faith grow deeper, but I'm going to call you to action. You see, I can promise you somebody who's growing deep in their faith is doing something. They're doing something. Now, it may not be around the church, and it may not be inside the church, and it may not be for the church, but you're doing something to make a difference in this world. And, 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 and I think one of the most amazing things is I believe dozens and dozens, hundreds of people in this church day after day, week after week are doing something, but I believe there's hundreds that aren't doing jack. And you're missing out on this wonderful experience. That, Wait a minute, God calls me to be a part of his redemptive plan. How cool is that? So the 70 have this opportunity to experience something, this faith at work. Now, once again, we know forgiveness of sins. We know eternal life. We know that all that that Christians possess, there's nothing that we did for ourselves. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. I mean, maybe we ought to take a look at that. And you say, well, how do you know that for a fact, Chuck? Well, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus said this to, to his followers then, and he says it to us today. He says, by your fruit, you'll be known. Now, this, this is very cool. Jesus isn't playing hide-and-seek with our perspective on whether we're living for him or not. He says, you know what? When you go through life, you'll leave a pattern behind you of whether you're living a life of faith in Christ or not. I mean, don't you know people that wherever they go, they leave a wake of dead bodies in their path? I mean, they're getting stuff done, but I mean, they're just mowing through people left and right. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? You got them in their mind? But you also see people who kind of go through life and they're hidden. And then there are some people, every now and then you run across this, this man or woman, you think, wow, I'd like to be more like that. Look, look at, look at what, how God's, that's, and don't you want to be around those people? Don't you want to be with those people? Aren't those folks the folks that just, just grab, your, grab your thoughts and you know, I, I want to be like that. I was talking the other day, I saw somebody, is Kelly Hardy in here somewhere? Where's, did I see Kelly in here? Hey, Kelly, there you are. In a, wave, wave to everybody. There's Kelly. I was talking about you the other day. I thought to myself, you know what? Every time I see a story about Kelly Hardy, you know what I see? I see faith at work. I see fruit that comes behind her. I mean, seriously, I, I, I see her little granddaughter knowing Jesus because she and her mom, you know what? They decided we're going to make a difference. It's faith at work. And I think to myself, how cool is that? Something good happening through that process. I mean, every time I go into to win-win nutrition, uh, you know, Beverly introduces me to somebody and she says, I've got to tell you about my church. It's just changed my life. Faith at work. I mean, I hear those stories all the time, and I think to myself, how cool is that? It's where God did something in our life, and my faith changed the nature of what I do out there. But I think a lot of us need to have a different perspective on faith. I mean, the, American churches and TV culture and, and religion at large has skewed our view on faith, I think. I mean, sometimes we, we think faith is a magic wand. Faith is not a magic wand. It's not a, you know, zippity-zappity-zoo and we get what we want. I mean, if you listen to enough TV preachers, it's like, you know, if you have enough faith, you can have a million-dollar jet too. 
If you have, if you have faith, you, you can live in a big house too. If you have faith, you can have two Bentleys too. Could I just say, shame on those guys. That is not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying, faith is not a magic wand. Faith is something that you get. It's a gift that it causes you to act more like Christ. It's not a magic wand. Faith is not about our will. It's about his will. It's when we start connecting the dots between our desires and his desires, and they merge together, and now we get to be a part of his work. Faith is not my will. It's his will. Faith is, is not as strong as we are. Faith is stronger. It's God. It's his strength. I mean, that's good to know. This is because our faith is not faith in ourselves. It is in the one who created the world, who loved us enough to give us his son, that we might have life eternally. It's faith that is his strength, not on ours. Can you imagine a world that's counting on our faith? We'd be in a mess, wouldn't we? I mean, listen, if, if we lived in a world that was counting on my faith, we're toast. I mean, it's, isn't it good to know that it's, it's him, it's his strength? It's, it's not me, it's not you, it's not us, it's him. I mean, that's, that's the strength we're counting on. Faith is not an action that we create. You can't conjure it up. I mean, it's about focusing our lives, our hope, our eyes, and our anticipation on God himself. I mean, when the 70 were sent out by Jesus, they were used of God to help people in all kinds of ways. I mean, how it works to honor God and to serve other people's real needs. I mean, that, that's the thread that winds throughout the Bible and ties it and pulls it all together. From the faithfulness of Abraham in the Old Testament all the way to the faith-filled vision that John wrote in the book of Revelation is this redemptive process that faith is not a magic wand. It's not our will. It's not counting on our strength, and we can't just make it happen. The Bible calls us to have faith. But I believe the Bible teaches us five essential ways that we can bank on that faith. And this is where most of us struggle. I do. This is where this roller coaster journey of faith really becomes a challenge for us. Number one is this. Our faith works because we find God in every situation. I mean, our faith works because there's never a time that there is not God. I mean, think about this. Before time, God was. In God, we find eternity. From everlasting to everlasting, there is God. And so when you think through that, you say, wait a minute, then our faith works because we find God in every situation. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is God. You say, well, where was God when that hurricane happened? Right there. Well, where was God when that earthquake happened? Right there. You say, well, why did God allow it? I have no idea. But I do know this. I see God at work when faithful men and women of Christ go rush into the middle of that and help people and serve people, and I see God at work in that. You say, well, Chuck, that doesn't make any sense. I know. But there is God in the middle of it. According to Scripture, there he is, ever-present, always there. Number two, our faith works because it accepts that God is for us. I love this. Over in Romans chapter 8, we read, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? And that if is not as we read it. It's not like, hey, dude, like if, really? I mean, what, what Scripture is saying is God is for you, period. God's in your corner. He's pulling for you. And you say, but Chuck, you have no idea how messed up my life is. You have no idea how much I've messed up. You know what? God said, yeah, but I love you. I love you. I, I, I love you unconditionally. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days when I desperately need to know God is for me. Don't you have those days? 
where you sense it is you against the world? Here's the good news. It is you and God against the world. And that, my friend, is bankable. I'm never alone. On those days when, when I feel like the world has beat me up most, I need to claim this promise that God is for me. God is for us. Who could ever be against us? I find faith in knowing he's in my corner, patting me on the back. Come on, Chuck, let's go. Stop whining and griping about what you don't have and start rejoicing in what you do have. Come on, let's go do something. Our faith works because God is in every situation. Our faith works because God is for us. Our faith works because it ignites hope within us. You say, well, Chuck, I, I, I don't really even understand that. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, one of the great chapters of faith we read. Let me just read a few of those passages. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hope. You know, when I wake up in the morning, you know one of the things that I love being able to count on? That I have hope in a God who's for me, who is in every circumstance. You say, well, Chuck, how can I know that? Because a God who cannot lie said, I'm for you. A God who cannot lie says, have faith. I'm there. I find hope. But you know, number four, our faith works because it takes steps in the will of God. Now, this is where really the roller coaster gets funky with most of us. When my will conforms to God's will, that means my actions and my reactions are more like his. Uh-oh. Let me just say to you, there have been seasons this week where my actions and my reactions did not sound, look, feel, or were anything near the actions or reactions of God. Have you had that season this week? Been there? I mean, when that guy cuts you off on 285, were your actions and reactions like God? Were you, were you pointing out that he was number one and just... Are you with me? Now, I know most of you are far more spiritual than that. I get it, you know. But actually, I, I know you're not. Because we, we, this, is, this is what happens. Our will is in this ever-changing state of growing to become more like God's. So what happens here is... Look, matter of fact, let me, let me read the paraphrase from the message where Eugene Peterson writes. And I know this drives some of you crazy. I mean, I get notes. Every time I, every time I quote the message, somebody say, you preach from the message? I'm just giving you a quote. Listen, listen, this is great. Here's what Eugene Peterson says as he paraphrases a text from James we're going to read in a minute. He says, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come, and come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Isn't that cool? All right, now you say, well, Chuck, where did he get that? All right, take your Bibles, flip toward the back. It's okay to use table of contents or cheat with your iPad. All right, and go to the book of James. And in the book of James, over in the second chapter in verse 14, James 2:14, we read this unique perspective on faith and works. All right, so in verse 14, chapter 2 of the book of James, it says, what does it profit if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can, sa can faith save him? 
if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food? Wait a minute. And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So you see what Eugene Peterson says here, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? You say, well, Chuck, listen, I'll tell you what. You take care of the faith department, I'll take care of the works department. You say, listen, Chuck, at the end of the day, the church pays you to do the faith thing. We'll do the works thing. But it doesn't work that way. You see, what, what, what Jesus is saying, you individually, you as a person, you have a deepening faith, and out of that deepening faith, you're going to go act more like Christ as you serve other people. In your everyday coming and going, in all of your life, you're going to see that. But Chuck, wait a minute. You take care of the faith, I'll take care of the works. As Lee Corso would say on college game day, not so fast, my friend. Because you see, what we find here, if you continue the message, here's what it says about faith and works. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? In other words, the teaching that Jesus has here is this. If you have a deepening faith, if you're drawing closer to God, you will inevitably have more meaningful works. But it'll be works that matter. And you see, it, it won't be because you did more church stuff. It will be because in your own individual life, you went and did things whether anybody recognized you or not. There's a little seven-year-old boy in our church. His name is Adam uh, Copeland Hagen. Okay? Copeland, on his seventh birthday, sent out invitations to have a birthday party like any normal little boy would do. The only difference was what he asked his friends to bring for him for gifts was bring canned goods and dry goods so that he could give them to the North Gwinnett Co-op. And that was his faith at work. So this morning in the 9.30 hour, when he sat in here with his parents, we brought Copeland up and said, Copeland, is that, is that what you did? Yes, sir. And I said, buddy, how, how cool is that? What if everybody else on their birthday did that? So, well, how many of you have August birthdays? People raise their hand, you know. And I said, you think all of them ought to do what you did? Yes, sir. And you know what I'd say to you? Yes, sir. That's faith at work. Now, you know what was very cool? was to give Copeland a little gift card and say, hey, buddy, why don't you run to Target and now get you a toy? You see, I just look at that and I think to myself, this is faith at work. Number five, finally, our faith at work 
it works because it's connected to the Bible. There's a rhyme and a reason. See, we really do believe from Genesis to maps, there's a reason, a purpose for which God gives us this. It's a roadmap. It's kind of a GPS for our life. It says, you know, faith leads to doing something cool. When you do something cool in the name of Jesus, then you, you have a deepening faith. It's hand and glove. They come together. You can't work more. You can't earn more of God's love. But the more I love God, the more I serve other people. The more I grow in my love, the more I help other people. The more I glow, grow closer to God, the closer I am to people. And so faith, you see, is not optimism, even though the person of faith tends to be more optimistic. I mean, it's, it's not cheerfulness, even though a person of faith is likely to be reasonably cheerful. It's, it's not a vague sense of well-being, or it's not a tender appreciation for the connectedness of human life. But Tozer also said, faith is confidence in God's self-revelation as found in Scripture. And recognizing this book has a rhyme and a reason for our life, that we grow deeper here so it changes the nature of how we act out there. I mean, what will Jesus be looking for? Luke's gospel asks a question that reveals exactly what matters to Jesus, what he looks for in our lives today and what he'll be looking for when he returns. And here's what it says in Luke 18, 8. When the Son of Man, Jesus, comes, will he find faith on earth? And throughout history, no person has ever been found guilty of trusting and having too much faith in God. So I'd just look to, to you today and I'd say, you know, there, there's two kind of people in this room. A person that's way outside that circle who has no faith whatsoever. And this is your invitation today to say, you know what? I want to begin that faith journey. Jesus, I want to accept you. I want to accept that gift that God's given me in you. I want to give my life to you. I want to give my heart to you. I want you to have my all. And I want to accept you as Lord, boss of my life. Thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead for me. I want to live my life for you and trust him and put your faith in his hands. But there's a second person in this room. You've done that. The fact of the matter is you haven't acted and reacted like it maybe in years, maybe decades. And I want to give you three simple ways in which you can do that. Number one, this week, choose, I'm going to actually read the book of James and figure out what those works are in my life. This week, I'm going to read the book of James. Secondly, one person this week that you can be an encouragement to, that you can help, you can do something to have an act of faith at work. And third, what if you were to just invite somebody to come back to church with you next week? A simple act of faith. Some of us have got to start a journey. Some of us need to act on our journey. And whatever that is today, let this be your prayer. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you.